information that you receive on Exclusively Inclusive Podcast is designed to be a learning experience for patients and listeners in order to supplement their own information so they can be better equipped to be advocates in their own healthcare journey. The opinions expressed by Erin Everett are the opinions of her own and do not represent any third parties or separate entities. In addition, the specialists that present on the show are also here to supplement your own healthcare information and are not designed to replace any treatment plans or information you're receiving from your own healthcare specialists. We hope that you enjoy the show and continue to subscribe and listen in. I see our role as one of the most important things right now is making sure that people who have other conditions keep their medications, mm-hmm. you know, get the check-ins that they need to have to keep them out of acute care settings. I mean, that yeah. is number one thing that we can do right now as primary care providers. Welcome to Exclusively Inclusive. Your source for the latest in LGBTQIA healthcare, transgender HRT, and personal empowerment. Here's your host, Erin Everett. Well, welcome back, Michelle. Thanks again for coming on. We enjoyed having you the first time, and we're so excited to chat today and, you know, get your thoughts and feelings on everything that's going on. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be back. Yeah. So... You know, today's episode, I think it'd be really important for us, especially as providers, but also, you know, people living and dealing with this new COVID stress to kind of check in, talk about how much life has changed and maybe like how we can be there for other people, maybe some self-care things. And then also give some insight onto people who are scared, maybe living with chronic illnesses, such as those living with HIV. I know I recorded an episode touching on COVID and coronavirus, you know, somewhat recently, but that was actually back when I didn't. You know, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. I don't think anyone, well, maybe it was a little bit of denial on my part, but I was hoping it wouldn't be lasting this long. And it's still, we're not really sure how long we're all going to be quarantining and staying in, uh, sheltering in place and things like that. It's just really insane. I'm not sure how to really process all the information myself sometimes. I mean, how how are you managing everything and yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, just one month ago, we were still considering having, you know, how we were going to work out having patients coming into the office, and even we were talking about still even doing wellness visits. Just, I guess it was a little bit over a month ago. Really, I mean, it was like everything changed really, really overnight. It seemed like we went from sort of having the debate in our office to pretty much everybody going almost all telemedicine and then trying to figure out how we were going to get people in for labs and Mm -hmm. just how to um, figure all of that out. And throughout this whole time and it feeling like everything changed overnight, it has been really, really good to reach out to colleagues like you and um, others just to hear how they're doing, Mm -hmm. how they're managing it. And it seems like everybody's kind of doing it a little bit differently, but the, I think the, common thing is that we all do feel a little chaotic and crazy, but we're also all really committed to, I think that the sort of recurring theme or thought is that we're here for our patients and and, and a resource patients. And so I've sort of felt this urge and need to like educate myself as much as possible about COVID. And what I found is that there really is not very much out there. A, and B, that it's changing every single day. Right. I think we've all had to learn to be flexible on a whole new level, Yeah, which is really 
hard for clinicians sometimes. We like to have very black and white guidelines and protocols and procedures and stuff. And so that I think has been kind of tough. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely been a moving target. I mean, and as much, you know, I'm with you, I want to stay up to date. I mean, you know, last time I talked to my listeners, we were incorporating telehealth. Now we're 100% telehealth for the most part. We're having patients come in who need injections or antibiotics and things like that or injection training, but we're not doing any labs in-house unless someone's really vulnerable. We're really trying not to draw labs in general. So yeah, I've been trying to keep myself educated because now I'm still seeing the same amount of patients, but we're doing it virtually. And a lot of them are like, how are you? What's going on? What's changed? Mm-hmm. You know, what is, what is going on with coronavirus? Like looking to me as their one quote, <laughs> legit source. So I'm trying to make sure that I am reading like good quality information. But like you said, it's changing every day. And then there gets to a point where I yeah. have to mentally say, okay, I can't hear about coronavirus one more time today. I just need to be Aaron. I'm just going to go home. I'm going to be mom. I'm going to be wife. I'm going to take the kids and the dog for a walk. And I don't want to hear about coronavirus, which is hard to do because for the first time in our lives, we're walking around and we're seeing people in face masks. We're seeing the Mm -hmm. fear in people's faces. I'm walking around my neighborhood. People are dodging to the other side of the street because, you know, we don't know. They're doing what they've been told, which is awesome, but trying to maintain a six foot distance. So even when we try our hardest to switch off from coronavirus and pandemic and, you know, sheltering in place, it's sometimes really hard to ignore because it's just still so in your face. So, I mean, all that to say, it's been weird. And I think it's been creating a lot of strange feelings with people. I mean, I have patients telling me that they're exhausted and they don't know why. And, you know, having stress dreams, you know, those types of things. But also, you know, like you said, checking in with other providers and seeing how how their practice has changed. I have, you know, colleagues who are being furloughed, who are healthcare providers, like nurse practitioners like us, which sucks. And it's also a little bit mind boggling because I'm then left wondering, well, what does that look like for them and future practice? And is it because there's a lack of patience to be seen or is it a lack of adaptability? I mean, all these things just like are constantly racing through my head because I'm like, where, do, where are those patients now going for care? You know? Yeah. How did it go to the phones were constantly ringing? Mm-hmm. There were, there was, there were not enough hours in the day to see all the people. Right. It was constant. Now, all of a sudden, people are getting furloughed. There's like nobody there. I I wonder the exact same thing. I mean, I think a part of it is that people utilize offices like ours, like primary care offices, internal medicine offices, utilize those things. Sometimes, you know, for a cold, like, I mean, this, and this mm-hmm. started happening, I think early on when we started deciding not to see any respiratory illnesses in office. And we were really managing a lot more of that over the phone or mm-hmm. over telephone. Medicine and to try to make sure and keep sick sick folks out of the office when we were still having some other people come in. And it's interesting because really with most respiratory illnesses, right, we can mm-hmm. totally manage those right. over the phone. Oftentimes I think people do come in maybe, and we do have visits with them. Maybe, you know, I, I think about, um, and I know we're going to talk about HIV in a minute, but I think about HIV patients and how I still have a lot of people who come every three months for mm-hmm. their follow-up visit. And that's what they like to do, despite the fact that the, you know, the guidelines say that they don't have to come that often, but right. that's what people's comfort level. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so sometimes we have full schedules with 
maybe appointments that could have been handled otherwise. So I really, I've been thinking also about how is this going to change the face of primary care and chronic care management in general? I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that. And hopefully it will be changes for the better and we can utilize telemedicine when appropriate and we can get Mm -hmm. some um, better Mm -hmm. and more solid laws, some better and more accessible practice laws and things like that. I'm hoping good things will come out of this. But yeah, I am a little sort of flabbergasted by the fact that primary care offices aren't busy. Right. Um, I know because people are still out there. They're still needing care. Yeah. The practices are closing or laying off their employees. So it's not necessarily that the patients don't need to be seen anymore, but now they cannot be seen. And so I worry about people who are social distancing and sheltering in place at home alone and what that looks like, you know? So I think it is really reassuring that, you know, both of our practices is incorporated telemedicine and we're doing it really well. You know, meaning that it's in a timely fashion and we're making sure patients are aware about it because there's been a lot of patients who have actually reported back feeling very comforted by the fact that we're doing telemedicine. They're like, oh my gosh, such a relief. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to keep this appointment with you because of everything that's been going on. So that's another thing too is like, I want to make sure that people know that while their current practice for whatever reason Wherever they're attending, if their practice is unable to see them, there are other offices out there accepting new patients and via telemedicine. And even if it's with the intent to just manage your care during the pandemic because you want to go back to your other provider, that's amazing. But just to know that you haven't been abandoned, you know, we're here. We're here if you need us. It's scary enough, you know. Absolutely. And I see our role as one of the most important things right now is making sure that people who have other conditions keep their medications, mm-hmm. you know, get the check-ins that they need to have to keep them out of acute care settings. I mean, that yeah. is number one thing that we can do right now as primary care providers. So I really hope that the word gets out there, that there are places that people can go. And Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's sometimes the three-month follow-ups are so important because even if you're not doing anything yeah. earth-shattering or major with the patient's treatment plan, it's a great point to like, check in and say, okay, let me put my own like medical needs to the forefront for the next 15 20 minutes, however long you spend with your patient, prioritize that and make sure we're reiterating the importance of that. So that's another reason why I think it's great that we could still do those via virtual visits because, you know, maybe that dialysis patient is, you know, not monitoring their intake as much because, you know, it's stressful. They don't have their provider checking in with them. They're at home by themselves. They're going to the dialysis visits, but they know they're probably drinking a little bit too much more fluid. They're off their, you know, low phosphorus diet or whatever it is. But to have those routine check-ins is just another like little gut check. Okay, I gotta I gotta keep my health in mind. This isn't life doesn't just stop because coronavirus is here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which speaks to the fact that as healthcare providers, we are so much more than just, you know, diagnosing, mm-hmm. treating monitoring labs. I mean, it really is about having a relationship with the patient and rapport and partner people in their health. And so, yeah, I think it's, and and telemedicine is a great way to continue that for sure. Yeah. That's been good. Yeah. I, I, we definitely plan on keeping telemedicine as part of our practice moving forward to what degree we're not really sure. It's also going to depend on what the patients want. Of course, you know, we're all excited to get patients back in the office because having that 
interaction with your patient, being able to listen to them and, you know, it helps continue that rapport you have with them. But it's also like been very interesting sitting on, <laughs> sitting in front of a computer for however many hours a day. I'm not used to being, having a sedentary job. So that's no. been really interesting, you know, and then like, you know, having eye fatigue from staring at a computer screen because you're doing these virtual visits. It's really strange. All uncharted waters. Yeah. So going back to the self-care thing, yeah, yeah, I'm with you with the walks. So important. I've been taking so many walks. Yeah. <laughs> and even I'm at work now um, for my lunch break, I take a walk around to the park or whatever by my office. And it's been really fun. We've met so many people in our neighborhood that we didn't know. People have been walking down our street that don't normally walk down our street. There's a guy in our neighborhood who stands out on his porch. And if you walk by his house, he'll say, may I read you a poem? <laughs> and he reads you a poem. And yeah, it's kind nice. of awesome because it's just like a moment where it's not about COVID. Right. You're right. It isn't all encompassing. I mean, have you found like watching TV or watching movies? You're like, what are you doing in such a big crowd? It's like, <laughs> I'm so like, oh my gosh, it's, it just like took over my brain. The yeah. whole idea of social distancing. So it'll be really interesting to see that happened very fast. So it'll be interesting to see how we get back to the world or how things sort of slowly, I th it looks like it's going to be pretty slowly and come back into at least somewhat of an open sort mm -hmm. of place. People ask me how long I think this is going to go on for, and I'm not really sure what to say. What, do you, what have you been telling patients is like a loose guideline? So I'm watching the projections for peaks and, and all of that flattening of the curve. And I'm, I'm watching that as well as the CDC guidance for ambulatory care clinics um, pretty closely. So now there's been this, uh, it, they were saying, I think May 8th was going to be our peak, but now they've backtracked it and said that we already had our peak. So <laughs> things change every single day. But on Friday or Thursday, last time I was in the office, I was telling people, since the peak is going to be around May 8th, because it was at that time, I think at least for the first two weeks in May, let's kind of continue to imagine we're going to have strict stay-at-home mm -hmm. orders, place recommendations. And so I'm just kind of doing it in segments. And I guess I'm talking in terms of how to schedule patients and people who need to come into the office versus who could just do a telemedicine visit. But like if patients are just asking in general, I'm basically saying we should be prepared for some pretty strict social distancing to go probably through the summer. I'm guessing like August-ish. It'll depend on what happens with schools and, and the decisions that the schools make. That's going to be really, I think that's going to be a deciding factor. Yeah. You mean as far but as I, I, uh, I, the fall? Yeah. yeah. There was, been a, there, I, I heard on, um, this one report, they were saying that there's been a suggestion that schools may experiment and be like, we can go back for two weeks and kind of see what happens because we know so little about kids mm -hmm. and how much of this they have. And so if we don't have good testing by then, I, I think it just all depends on so many factors that we just don't have answers to right now. So in lieu of trying to give false <laughs> reassurance, right. I'd to say, you know, we should probably plan on 
through the summer. Yeah. I think that's pretty reasonable, especially until we have a vaccine. I think things are probably going to be cycling between, you know, a little bit of freedom and then back to like strict social distancing to help prevent like recurrences and more peaking. But I feel like as far as, you know, them saying the peak was supposed to be May 8th and now they're backpedaling on that. I have noticed personally, we're seeing a lot less patients with COVID-like symptoms than we were even like last week or the week before. I don't know if that's because people are just like not calling us as much and they're just going to get their own testing. But before anybody with any kind of respiratory or GI issue was calling us wondering if they had COVID. And probably a lot of them did. Yeah. So it does make me wonder if the cases are down as a whole, or again, if they're skipping us and going to the drive-through clinics or the urgent cares that are now offering, you know, the testing. Right, right. This is also, an, uh, you know, for for a condition that we have like zero data on, it's mm-hmm. a time of unprecedented information that's available to the public, general public. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people know. My patient panel is in general pretty has, I would say. This is a generalization, but I would say has a higher health literacy than some areas. You know, I mean, we mm-hmm. live in an urban, educated, I'm in a private practice. Of course, many of my patients are insured. And so I, I think that there is a, a piece of it where people are sort of, I think I think a lot of my patients feel like they're leaving space for people who really need it. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah. I, can, I can handle this. That's kind of what I was trying to say earlier when we're not, you know, we're not getting as many calls from people who can manage things at home. So I think there's a little bit of that because actually last week I had more COVID calls than I did the the week before. Yeah. So it is interesting. I know that just talking to colleagues at the hospitals, it sounds like it's pretty manageable still in our hospitals. So I think there's also a piece that, especially here in Atlanta, we did a really good job of social distancing. I mean, I think what happened down in Albany really scared a lot of people in Georgia. And I think mm-hmm. I think despite some of the slower action of our uh, political folks, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people hunkered down and a lot of the restaurants like sprung into action yeah, and did, they didn't they did, yeah. yeah, we weren't really met with a lot of resistance on that. Yeah, so I think that probably has a piece of it. But I think the fact is, is we just really don't know what's going to happen. One thing that I've been counseling my patients on is like self-care techniques and things like that. Do you have any pearls for people who are listening on how they can be... Taking, for self-care? Yeah, for self-care. Like how can they be checking in on themselves and then mm-hmm. other people? I mean, I know the spiel that I've been giving people, but I'm just curious, you know, what kind of information you're providing for your patients? Yeah. I mean, I'm with each visit, I'm just kind of checking in on that and just asking how's, you know, how's your mental health and just, and and addressing it period. I think a lot of people don't get asked that question Mm -hmm. oftentimes. So just checking in and also allowing a space for grieving and, and sort of addressing that and addressing the fact that we are all sort of grieving the loss of what our normal life was. Also opening up space for people who are doing okay with this and saying, you know, it's, it's okay if you're actually kind of enjoying the quiet time. You right. know, some people are calling this the great pause and mm-hmm. it's actually kind of a positive thing for some people. So trying to focus in on that. And then, you know, uh, I do a lot of educating about how important it is to get exercise right now, get out, take walks. I mean, 
in here in Atlanta, we couldn't be at a better time of year to have more time right. to take walks because it's gorgeous out there. So I'm talking about that. I think this is a great time for arts and music. There's so much free stuff right now on the web. So people who have good internet access, um, we're very, um, those of us who do have internet access are so privileged right now. Mm -hmm. And and I do want to kind of say that I've thought about social determinants of health so much with this because it really is a privilege to be able to work from home or do telemedicine or Mm -hmm. have internet and man, is that not more evident than now. So I really, right. you know, my heart goes to those folks who don't have that access. I'm encouraging people to journal. That's a good we've one, never, yeah. Yeah, we've never had a time in history like this. I mm-hmm. mean, this is our our defining moment in history. So I'm definitely encouraging that as well. Yeah. I'm not sure if you get the updates, too, from your local politicians, but Renita Shannon sends out an email, I think, uh, weekly, updating Mm -hmm. District 84 on what's been going on with coronavirus. But to your Um, point, I was just circling back to your social determinants of health. You know, she mentioned, actually, in her email about how more hit the African-American community had been from coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with what you're talking about, which would be access to good uh, information, internet access, and things like that. When you're looking at populations of low SES status who don't have access to those things or who maybe can't work from home, so they're still having to leave their homes and go to work, risk exposure, but then also, too, may not have the means to get care early on in the course of illness. So just to circle back to that, that is definitely a very important thing. I heard a statistic. I can't, it may have been Cuomo's press conference today. He was saying that 40% of essential workers are people of color. And I'm not sure if that's just in New York or in the United States, but that is a huge number. And Mm -hmm. so 40% of people can't stay home and and 40 and those are people of color. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just really, really crazy. So there's a lot of factors to be considered there. But yeah, so back to the self-care things. I think those are really good recommendations. I know a few of my favorite musicians are doing live streaming shows on Instagram and things like that. But outside of that, I think the other important thing is, you know, when this all first started, everyone ran out and stocked up. Well, I think a lot of people did. And probably on more convenience and packaged foods and non-perishables which I think is a great idea mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, amount of uncertainty ahead of us. However, now that we know that there's going to be, and I think we always did know, but we were scared, that there's going to be access to grocery items <laughs> continually. I think mm-hmm. it's really important for people to be focusing on their nutrition right now. I mean, there's like nothing worse than being stressed and exhausted, maybe not sleeping well, but then also not even fueling your body in, in a great way, like maybe overconsumption of like salty and processed foods that are also going to like, you know, cause you to maybe have more fatigue, swelling and that kind of thing. And so if, if people can really focus on nutrition, what it can lead to is a d- nice distraction of maybe cooking new recipes and like socializing within their home, within the people that they're social distancing with and trying new things, but also feeling their body because, you know, if you can eat right and eat healthily in a balanced diet, you're also strengthening your immune system. So I think that is something too, that I've been trying to counsel patients on as well. It's like, don't get stuck in the rut of ramen noodle every night, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because we, our first thing that we go to when we want comfort food is carbs. And, right. You know, so, and, and I, there's no shame in, in, you know, things in moderation, but I totally agree with you. It is so imperative that mm-hmm. we really try to keep healthy. You know, I try to check in with people about drinking as well, forms of substance abuse, you know, just like kind of checking in about that and making sure that people are not just holding up and, you know, self-medicating. Right, right. Because I think we've definitely seen an increase. I mean, there's obviously an increase in alcohol consumption. We see all the memes and everything floating around on Facebook. I don't know if you have a TikTok. I'm kind of obsessed with TikTok now, but there's been a lot of funny videos of people drinking alcohol and they're like, I'm not the only one drinking all day, right? Well, that's all funny, but I think it's really important that, you know, we're out of our routine. You know, a lot of people are, are out of their routine. They're, they're able to sleep later because they're working from home. And then so maybe going to bed on time is not like such an issue. And so, yeah, they're more likely to over imbibe in the evenings or during the day. And so that's fine for like a week or so, but this is going to go on for a long time. So I think it's really important, like you said, to like reset those habits because it's just going to exacerbate our stress and at the end of it, not do us any favors, really. Hey guys, on a more serious note, I understand that coronavirus has changed a lot of things for a lot of different people in many different ways. It's a scary, uncertain time. So if you find yourself struggling or you need help, please feel free to reach out. We're still seeing new patients every day and we're here for you. There's no need to feel alone and isolated when you don't have to walk this journey alone. Also, feel free to post and let us know how you're doing. You can post on my Instagram page. Let us know how coronavirus has impacted you for the good, the bad, the ugly. Everybody has their own version of their silver linings. During this time, we just have to support each other, focus on the positives, and learn to focus on the things we cannot control. And try not to worry about things that we cannot control and to control the things that we can, like making sure we're eating well, getting enough sleep, those types of things. So feel free to reach out. And if you want to make a personal comment that you don't feel like posting on social media, feel free to email me if you have any questions, concerns, or if anything that we can do to help you. The other thing I think is important to to mention is not only have medical offices like ours gone to telehealth platforms, but a lot of mental health care providers have already been doing telemedicine. And so now they're just continuing it. So that's still an option. Like maybe people didn't have the need. I think everybody needs a therapist, but maybe they didn't, Mm -hmm. maybe they didn't acknowledge the need to engage in a relationship with a mental health care provider. So if people are feeling that way now, there's definitely a lot of resources out there for you to establish care with a mental health care provider. And I usually refer to psychologytoday.com. So that way you can search for providers who are doing virtual visits, who um, are in network with your health insurance, if that's important to you. But also you're able to see reviews and look at all their specialties. So for those of us who are allies or in the LGBTQ community, it's going to probably be more important for you to find a mental health care specialist that is also LGBTQ friendly, you know, or is familiar with non-traditional couples and those types of things so that you can receive the mental health care that you need. I think it's a now's no better time to do that. Absolutely. And if I could, I would love to give a shout out and an endorsement to Mara Collins, who yes. I don't know if you know about this, but she's doing that COVID-19 support group. It, Please tell us more about that. That's amazing. Yep. It's an online mental health support group for all impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. Mm-hmm. The support group is queer and trans experience uh, centered. And it is the intent is to build collective resilience. 
They discuss self-care and community care practices to help our collective nervous system function better during uncertain times, group therapy and support, and mutual aid, allowing space for folks to share their resilience. So it's Mara Collins, who's a therapist, and Sonali Sadiqwe, who I'm sorry if I mispronounced her last name, and she's a Imago communication coach. And um, this meeting is on Mondays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, It's via Zoom. And if you're on Facebook, I know you can find information about it with um, if you just search Mara Collins, her Mm -hmm. page. Yeah. And whatever information you have, I'll put on the description of the podcast so people can easily click and link to it. That sounds really interesting. I think really helpful. And Mara Collins is a very well-recognized mental health care provider in the LGBTQ community and is also local to Atlanta and does a lot of work, uh, you know, in advocacy as well. So that would be a really helpful group, I can imagine. So. Hey, everyone, I have a quick favor to ask. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment and just clicking the subscribe button on whichever platform you use to listen to my show, that would be wonderful. Not only does it allow you to get notified every time I publish an episode, but it also helps with my ratings and reviews, which what that means in podcast world is that I'm able to climb up in the rating scale and reach other listeners. The whole reason why I started the show is to access people who needed the information. So please just go ahead and click subscribe. Then we can all be happy and continue to listen to this good quality free information. Thank you so much. Okay, so now that we've had an opportunity to talk about how weird life is now, you know, all the changes that have occurred, and then some ways to help us feel better and take care of ourselves better, you know, to check in with others. One thing that I think that is really important that we talk about is those who might be experiencing a little bit more fear. And you highlighted this earlier, Michelle, when I was talking to you. Are those patients living with HIV and that those patients who have been impacted by HIV in some regard, whether they've lost a partner, friend, whatever, to HIV, you know, back when the epidemic occurred there, back in the 80s, this can be very triggering for them. You brought that to my attention, and that's a really good, valid point that I think we should discuss, but also kind of give some guidance on patients who are living with HIV. Do they need to be more scared? I've touched on this briefly before, but I think we can probably revisit it because it is a scary time, and I know it's plaguing some of those folks. Absolutely. That is, um, you know, definitely a question that is coming up over and over again. Like, am I at increased risk if I'm mm-hmm. living with B? And I'm pretty, I think you talked about this in your first one mm-hmm. about how basically as long as the CD4 count is good, viral loads undetectable, folks are on meds, same, same risk factors. Now, that being said, if people are living with HIV and have other chronic conditions like diabetes, hypertension, pulmonary disease, then yes, they are at increased risk for severe COVID-19 disease. But in general, the biggest, most important thing is is that people stay on their medications right now and keep their HIV infection under control. And that remains the case. I mean, you know, I'm checking in on that every day. There is a case report, I think I left it at my office, but I believe it's out of Wuhan mm-hmm. and it was on one person. So it's an N of one right. and a case report, obviously. And it was someone who was co-infected with HIV and hepatitis C and had a delayed antibody response yeah. to 
to the coronavirus. And so that was suggesting that they did, they, it took them a little bit longer to fight the virus, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, is kind of the conclusion that they were coming to. Mm -hmm. But in general, I don't think that we're seeing any big signals that just HIV infection alone affects risk. Um, That being said, we're we're just not seeing those yet. We don't have any data about it at Mm -hmm. all. I would love to actually see some data on how many patients who have HIV who have been co-infected with coronavirus. I'd love to see how many there actually are. There's a database for that, um, actually. You can access it through AAHIVM. So for any providers out there listening, if you have any folks living with HIV who also test positive for COVID-19, there is a database. I think it's called, I don't remember what it's called. We, I guess we can look it up later. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just kind of keeping track of folks. And it's HIPAA compliant the way that they're um, mm-hmm. gathering the data. So that that way we'll have that data. Okay. Yeah, well, that's good. Because since we're studying certain antiretrovirals for the treatment of coronavirus, I'd be kind of curious to see if some people were less likely to get it because of their regimen. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very common question I get as well. A lot of people talking about asking if PrEP, people who are on PrEP, if that's protective. And, yeah. You know, the long and short of it right now that we just don't know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't have enough information. But I'm sure all of these things will be studied afterwards and we'll come out with some really good information on that. I also read that about the antibody response, which also made me wonder then if if someone has been exposed to coronavirus and you're living with HIV, if perhaps you should be extra cautious before going back around people in case you have a delayed symptom onset as well. So, you know, you might find that you're in the clear. Okay, well, I had an exposure, but I haven't developed any symptoms. But if the antibody response takes longer, it may also Mm -hmm. take longer for them to even show their first sign of illness. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that was the case with this person. Yeah. I think that's an important point. Well, that's good. So that's pretty much like what I had been telling patients to, you know, it doesn't seem to be the virus itself. HIV is not seemingly to place patients at additional risk. It's all about immune functioning in general. And so that's why we base you know, on CD4 count. And some other ways you can boost your CD4 count without, you know, obviously you're already on your medication would be, you know, taking vitamin C. I always recommend that for everybody, vitamin C and zinc. And I actually joke at work that the feds leaked my secret because that's something I recommend all the time. And I have seen really positive gains on immune functioning people who live with HIV or don't taking, Mm -hmm. you know, vitamin C and zinc together does help reduce viral replication of cold and flu viruses in general, but also helps maintain a healthy immune system along with proper sleep hygiene, hydration, and stress management, which we touched on briefly earlier. So those are all really important things for anybody in the community who's listening, but particularly those who are living with HIV, because this could be, again, stressful and triggering, Uh, Maybe taking them back to the days they were first diagnosed, depending on, you know, what year that was and the losses they endured during that time. And so that could obviously lead some people down the road of self-medication and, you know, uh, mismanagement of their stress and maladaptive coping skills. I think it's really interesting as well that Fauci is playing such a prominent role this time around because people who lived through um, the AIDS crisis in the 80s became very familiar with his name and especially the activists and the providers, Mm -hmm. you know, and then also Dr. Burks. And it's just, it's so interesting that HIV providers are the medical faces of this and Mm -hmm. the 
political realm of the coronavirus. And I think that that, in, uh, along with the fact that this is becoming rapidly more and more politicized as a um, disease, is very similar to the way that HIV and AIDS was back in the day, and actually still is, as we all know. And I just, and I think that there's so many things that are different about the two viruses, for sure. But there are so many sim- similarities on a very sort of, like you said, triggering level. And so I worry that people are probably kind of having some feels about it and and it's probably taken them back. And actually, you know, AIDS was, I mean, for the gay male community, it was way more catastrophic than what we're dealing with now and, you know, on much smaller level. And so it's just, I really um, definitely want to make sure and check in with all those folks I think the providers who went through it before, they they are probably remembering what it felt like to be dealing with a virus that they knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, I mean, I know how it feels as, you know, relatively um, younger provider, I guess. It, it's, it's, it's maddening sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so now for those folks, especially infectious disease folks who are now going through this a second time in life has got to be really, really mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's, and it is, it's very strange in the fact that like coronavirus, some people may have mild symptoms and not really even notice that they have it. And then other people, of course, are losing their lives to it, which is a little similar to HIV AIDS. Some people lived with HIV for a long time before they developed AIDS and had no idea they had it until they developed AIDS. But, you know, several years had passed and they were lucky that there were treatment options had improved, whereas other people were diagnosed because they rapidly started declining and they died right away before they could even get any treatment. So it is kind of nutty in that regard as far as like the uncertainty and the trauma surrounding that. I think it's really creepy, but Uh it is (laughs) is creepy. I'm really hoping that uh, we get more solid information on uh, how to manage coronavirus here soon because like you said before, it is just an ever-changing thing and it seems to be a lot of like mixed information and you're really having to kind of like detangle everything to figure out what's important and what you're going to relay to your patients. Um, One other thing I do want to say for sure is that just in case there's any providers who maybe aren't aware that really all across the board, all the recommendations are to be giving 90-day supplies of medications and advocating for that, whether insurance Mm -hmm. companies typically pay for that or not. Mm -hmm. Um, We really to be trying to advocate for that. And I was just seeing on the Academy of HIV Medicine's website that they have been assured that there's not going to be any sort of supply issues with any of the ARVs. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was really, really reassuring. So we do have folks in the advocacy world who are making sure to keep an eye on that. And mm-hmm. uh, so patients mm-hmm. don't need to worry about running out and providers need to not, you know, hesitate to give those 90-day supplies. Um, Right. And you know, maybe hold off on doing labs, especially if they've been done within the last six months. Right. You know, it, it'll be okay to wait, you know, two to three months even right. or maybe even longer. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Especially if someone's been stable, their counts have been stable, they've been undetectable for a long time. I definitely think it makes sense. Now, if you're monitoring other issues like renal function and things like that, then you know, you have to just use your best judgment there. But in general, like you said, a lot of people can skip their blood work this time around. The other thing that is really important for people to know who are listening is that if you've lost your health insurance, 
now may be the first time that you've had to utilize the Ryan White programs or the Advancing mm-hmm. Access to Gilead. If you've been furloughed and lost your health care benefit, there's still ways for you to get your HIV medication. So it's really important that you reach out to your providers before you run out of meds. There's no reason for you to come off of your medications due to lack of insurance. That is a great point. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And also for PrEP. Um, there's yes. tons of resources for PrEP, even if you don't have, if you've lost your insurance. I agree. Um, I've already had to transition some people over to the Advancing Access Program for PrEP. You know, even though we're social distancing and things like that, there's other things that potentially continually expose them and need them to stay on their uh, PrEP medication. But yeah. So that's all good. And so just to summarize, it's really important that during this time of uncertainty and pandemic that we're focusing on our health and hygiene, our health hygiene, making sure that we're sleeping well, eating well, those types of things. And if you're really just not doing a very good job at that, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Really focus on positive self-talk. And if you feel like you're really still not doing a good job, then don't hesitate to reach out to um, a healthcare provider like myself or Michelle and even a mental health care specialist that can help you through this hard time. If you've never needed help before and now it's the first time, that's okay. doesn't mean you failed. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for people to remember that. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts or things you wanted to share today, Michelle? Um, I think I only that I really appreciated the opportunity to do this. It's been uh, some good self care for me, and I, uh, you know, love being able to get out there and reach folks, and hopefully, maybe give some information that might be new to them, but also just put sort of support and you know that kind of feeling of we're going to get through this out there in the universe. And yeah, I awesome. appreciated that. That yeah, was awesome. Course. Michelle, is your practice still accepting new patients via telemedicine? Yes, absolutely. We are. Uh, Yep. Yep. See, so both Michelle's practice and my practice are accepting new patients. So if you feel abandoned by your previous provider or you just can't get in touch with them, maybe they didn't have the means to adapt to the ever-changing conditions right now. Never fear. Help is here. Thank you. Yeah, people can just contact the front desk at my office and we can get the um, paperwork and get them all set up on our telemedicine platform. No problem. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, everybody, make sure you stay fierce, stay safe and live your truth. Thanks for listening. Not sure if y'all have had a chance to check out my episode on HIV. It's a very useful topic. A lot of people ask me questions about HIV treatment prevention and the first signs and symptoms of HIV. So any questions you have will most likely be answered with that episode. So don't forget to check it out and leave a rating and review so that that information can also reach other listeners. Without the reviews, it's unable to reach other listeners because I don't go up on the ranks in the podcast platforms. And the whole purpose of this show is to reach listeners so they have access to good quality information. There's a lot of misinformation out there. So it's my job to play Mythbusters. So give us a share. Let your friends know about it and take a listen and give me any feedback. Or if you have any questions that weren't answered, let me know.